Bibles, if you'd like to turn there with me to Genesis uh, chapter number 26. And we'll dive into the scriptures here. We've been in a series through the book of Genesis, going verse by verse, and been enjoying it. Um, We are now over the halfway point in this series. Um, And so it's only taken us a year and a half to get to this point. I think that's pretty good. Uh, This is the 40th message and 26 chapters in the book of Genesis. And I'm looking forward to getting into what the Lord has for us here. Uh, Here in the book of Genesis, we discover truth concerning the roots of our redemption. The name Genesis means beginnings. And in the book of Genesis, we discover the beginning of everything except God. And uh, so we're going to continue on our journey through this book of the Bible here in Genesis chapter 26. By the way, um, if you didn't get a chance, we did post the sermon outline for the message today on our Facebook page. You can go there and grab that if you'd like to take advantage of that as we go through our time in the scriptures here today. But Genesis chapter 26, as we've made our journey through the book of Genesis, our journey has now brought us into full view of the life of the patriarch named Isaac. Abraham has passed on, and now we're looking at the life of Isaac here in the scriptures. And interestingly, Genesis chapter 26 is the only chapter in Genesis dedicated entirely to Isaac. Abraham got several chapters. Uh, Jacob will have several chapters that the Bible tells us about his life. Joseph has even more uh, chapters in the book of Genesis that tell us about his life. But Isaac only has one sole chapter in the scripture. And yet, what significance we learn from this one chapter about the life of this man of faith, Isaac, here in the scripture. And as we look at Genesis 26, what we're going to discover is that we'll watch Isaac make a progression as a believer in this world. Now, in this chapter, if you go through and read the whole thing, you'll find that in this chapter, the name Abraham is mentioned eight times, and the name Father, speaking of Abraham, is mentioned six times. And one of the things that indicates to us here is that throughout this chapter, we see God teaching Isaac something. And don't miss this. God is teaching Isaac to take his father's faith and make it his own. And that's significant for all of us as we look at this account in the scripture. You see, Isaac was a man who inherited a great legacy of faith from his parents, Abraham and Sarah. And yet here in Genesis 26, at this point in his journey of life, God intentionally tested his faith to make it his own. And let me just pause here to make this application. If you are a believer in Jesus... You put your faith in Jesus Christ. You, like Isaac here, are a pilgrim passing through this world. And you've inherited a great legacy of faith from those who have come before you, uh, who have been followers of Christ before you. And as such, now in this lifetime, in your lifetime, God will test your faith to help you grow and become more established in it. Now, this is what the New Testament teaches us God said He was going to do. In James chapter number 1 and verse 2, the Bible says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect or brought to full maturity and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. God often allows circumstances to come up in our life not to tear down our faith, but to build up our faith. And that's so important for us to understand. Now, an important distinction here before we move on um, that I want to make known to you. God tests our faith to bring out the best in us. Satan 
tempts us to bring out the worst in us. And there is a difference. God never tempts anyone with evil, the Bible says in the, uh, in, in the New Testament. And so there is a big difference between the two. And the circumstances that God allows in our life, He allows to bring out um, Really, the nature that he has placed within us. Less of us and more of him. Uh, Satan, on the other hand, does everything he can to try to bring out the worst in us. Adrian Rogers, one of my favorite preachers, he once said, A faith that hasn't been tested cannot be trusted. A faith that hasn't been tested cannot be trusted. And it's a true statement. And so along our journey of faith, God allows us to be tested, to teach us to choose to put our faith in him more and more. And boy, some of you that have walked life's road a little bit farther than me especially, you can testify and you've been through a little bit, some of those tests probably like I have. And yet I'm thankful um, that the Lord does things this way. Job, in the midst of his trial, he knew what God was doing. He was assured of, of what God was going to produce through the circumstances that he was going through. And Job said in Job 23 and verse 10, When he, God, has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. God, now Job knew that God was doing a refining work in his life. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me, the psalmist said. And so we see this demonstrated all throughout the scripture. And so here as we look at Isaac's journey of faith, as we look at Isaac's own version of Pilgrim's progress, as he's making progress on his journey of faith, I believe that we're going to learn some, some, some lessons and some choices that we each ought to make along our own journey of faith through this lifetime. Let me just say to you before we dig into this chapter, it's not enough that those who have come before you have had faith in God. There has got to come a day when each one of us have got to learn to choose to exercise faith in God for ourselves in the situation that we're going through. It can't always be looking back to so-and-so, to dad or mom or grandma or grandpa or some pastor or some person in your past who had faith. There comes a point when you've got to learn to exercise that faith yourself. That's one of the things we learn in this transition in the life of Isaac here on the pages of Scripture. And so may the cry of the psalmist or of the hymnist be our cry today, oh, for grace to trust thee more. I believe that's one of the things the Lord wants to teach us through this passage of Scripture. And so let's bow our heads together and ask God to speak to our hearts as we get ready to dig into what the Lord has for us here from Genesis chapter 26. Father, we come before you this morning and I thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit for your ministry, where you are our teacher. I pray, Spirit of God, that you would speak uh, through me as a, as a mouthpiece to be able to communicate the truth that you have spoken already to my heart about so much this week. And I pray, God, that you would use it to be a blessing to uh, our church family here today and those who are tuning in with us. I pray for your authority and power to be on the truth of your word that as, as it is communicated. And may it uh, uh, cut and divide. May it uh, search out the needs in every heart and life of every person tuned in here today. I could not possibly know what those needs are. I could not possibly know the words of encouragement and the words of exhortation that need to be said to your people today but you do and you take your word and you do what you see fit with it here today and minister to spiritual needs feed your people today with fresh bread from heaven as we open up the scriptures today and we pray these things in Jesus name amen and amen so from Genesis chapter 26 this morning I want you to notice some choices to make on your journey of faith now I'll go ahead and tell you we're not going to make it through the whole chapter today alright I've learned from past experiences. Uh, so we're going to take our time, but we'll go through the first half of this chapter today. And over this week and next, we're going to learn these choices 
that the Lord would lead us to make on our journey of faith when we go through a phase like Isaac went through here in the scriptures. And so notice in Genesis 26, these choices. And the first one you can write down if you're taking notes this morning is this, the choice to stay. Now don't miss this. It's the choice to stay. Let's notice what began, what began to take place here in Isaac's journey of faith. Beginning in Genesis 26 and verse number, uh, actually let's go back to Genesis 25 before we jump into Genesis, Genesis 26 because I want you to see something here uh, in Genesis 25, just the chapter before there. Now up to this point, Isaac had been living in a place called Laharoi. It's a name that means the living one who sees me. We learned about it earlier in our study in Genesis. And there in Laharoi, Isaac had been enjoying living in the place of God's blessing. Look at Genesis 25 and verse number 12, where the Bible says, uh, verse number 11, I'm sorry, it says, And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and uh, Isaac dwelt by the well Laharoi. Now it seems from our study in the book of Genesis that Isaac was just living in this place after his dad died for several years. He had a couple sons while he was living there. And yet there came a point in Isaac's journey and his pilgrimage when the Bible begins to tell us he began to face a season of famine. And that's where we pick up the story in Genesis 26. So Genesis 26 and verse 1, if you're there with me, say amen. Genesis 26 and verse 1, the Bible says there was a famine in the land. Beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham, and Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. The Bible begins to tell us what this, about this famine that began to take place in Isaac's journey of faith. And let me just pause here to make this application because I think it's pertinent, especially in the times that we're living in right now. Being a believer... It doesn't exempt you from the ordinary disasters that overtake mankind. See, Jesus didn't say when you come to faith in me, you'll have no more trouble, you'll have wealth, health, and prosperity, and all is going to be well in your life. That's not what he said. That's not what he said at all. And just because we're believers doesn't mean that we can't be impacted by the things that are going on like COVID-19. Some of you lost jobs. Some of you have gone through hardship in the midst of all these things that are going on. And just because you're a believer doesn't mean that you're exempted from those things. Isaac faced the same famine that the world around him was facing. And we're all going to face seasons of famine as we make our journey through this life. But don't miss this. Yet what a comfort it is to know that God has promised to sustain us through those seasons. See, Jesus said in John chapter 16 and verse 33, In the world ye shall have tribulation. But then he said, Be of good cheer. Why? Because I have overcome the world. And I'm glad even in the midst of perilous times, we have a Savior that we can depend on and whom we can trust. And so Isaac, really for the first time in his journey of faith, for the first time in his pilgrimage, began to face a season of famine like his father before him had faced. And in response to the season of famine, Isaac, like his father before him, went to get some help. He first made his way towards the land of the Philistines, about a 75-mile journey to the north and the and to the east of where, or to the north and the west of where he was at at that point. And he began to make a journey. The first place he stopped at was the land of the Philistines, King Abimelech to Gerar, uh, a place, a name that literally means a lodging place. Isaac went there to stay for a little while. And we can presume from what the scripture tells us here that he had plans to keep on going from Gerar, because Gerar was facing a famine too, and to make his way towards Egypt. 
uh, just like his dad had done before him when he faced a time of famine. Now, here's an interesting thing about Egypt. Egypt had not been impacted by this famine. Egypt, in fact, had a, had a great river running through the middle of it, the Nile River. And it was a luscious land at that point in time in history. I mean, Egypt was, was the, the path of least resistance for Isaac. Uh, it, it was a place where he could go and get through, and, and he was going to be fine. And yet we find that while he was there in Gerar, just staying for a little while, God met him to prevent him from his intention of going to Egypt. Notice what the Bible says in verse 2. The Bible says, And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. And then he said, Sojourn, or live as a stranger. Just stay here temporarily in this land at the beginning of verse number 3. Now, why did God tell Isaac not to go down to Egypt? Well, as I said a moment ago, if you remember back in Genesis 13 when we studied that passage, Abraham went down to Egypt when he faced a time of famine. And when he went down to Egypt, he met a servant girl named Hagar. And from Hagar came Ishmael and a whole bunch of trouble for the house of Abraham. And so God said, Isaac, let me save you some heartache. Don't go there. Don't go there. I want you to stay where you are. God didn't want Isaac to leave the land of God's promised blessing for the false security he thought there was to be found in Egypt. And so very simply, and in no uncertain terms, God made it clear to Isaac he wanted him to stay in Gerar, to stay where he was. And let me just say to you this morning, in your journey through life, don't miss this, one of, the most one of the most difficult decisions that you are going to have to make is to stay. Is to stay. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, like Isaac, when times get tough, your first inclination is going to be to want to run to Egypt. You know, Egypt, all throughout the scripture, Egypt is a type of the world. That's what the Bible teaches to us. Egypt, hey, it's the path of least resistance. Egypt is a place you can go just to get by, just to get through the difficult season you're in. Egypt is a temporary solution to a long-term problem. Egypt is trusting in facts instead of living by faith. And from a human perspective, Egypt is always what makes more sense because it requires no faith. And Isaac thought, well, there's a famine here. There's no famine in Egypt. I can leave the land God's promised me for just a little while and I'll go down into Egypt. That was his thought process there before God prevented him. And just think about this with me. If, if Isaac had gone down to Egypt, he would have never experienced the great harvest that God brought to him even in the midst of a drought later in this story. I'm sure looking back, Isaac was thankful he didn't go down to Egypt. But here at this point in his journey, he was tempted to go down to Egypt. And you listen to me, don't miss this. If you settle for Egypt now, if you settle for Egypt now, if you don't stay where God's told you to stay, if you settle for Egypt now, you are never going to see what God has in store for you down the road. You're never going to see it. See, Proverbs 24 and verse 10 says, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Thy strength is small. And so don't miss this application here. If you're going to choose to stay, listen to me, you must eliminate Egypt as an option. Hey, Egypt, plan B, the easy way out has got to go. You've got to eliminate Egypt as an option. If you're in a season of famine in your marriage, Egypt's got to go. 
You say, what's Egypt? Divorce. Separation. If you're in a season of famine and you're in your uh, uh, state in life, maybe it's in your career. You say, well, this opportunity is over here and I know I have to move away and there's no church and I don't know how things are going to work out for my family, but I'm just going to go over here because it makes more sense. I can make more money doing this. It's more security for me. I don't know if that's the right decision to make or not, friend. Walking away from where you know God has you to go to some place where you think you'll be able to get by. This bothers me sometimes too. Young people, hey, you've got to, you've got to learn how to stay. I get frustrated sometimes, and so often this happens with young people especially. They'll start a sport. Well, I don't like it, so I quit. They start an instrument. Well, I don't like it, so they quit. Uh, they start a job. Well, it's too hard, so they quit. you got to quit quitting everything. At some point in your life, hey, when things start getting hard, you're going to have to learn to stay. If God led you to do it, he hadn't changed his mind, stay. So God told Isaac to stay in Gerar. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. So God gave Isaac some simple instructions here. He told Isaac to stay. Now, I want you to notice as God told Isaac to stay, the reason God gave for him for staying. Because God gave him infinitely more reasons for staying than the reasons he had for going. And in verse number 3, if you're still with me, say amen. The Bible says in verse 3, The Lord said to Isaac, sojourn in the land. And then I want you to notice how many times God says, I will, in this passage. He said, and I will be with thee, and, and I will bless thee. For unto thee and to thy seed will I give all these countries. And I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. And I will give unto thy seed in all these countries, and, and, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And so notice this. In asking Isaac to stay here, God assured him that if he would do so, he was going to care for him. He was going to take care of him. Seven times God promised here in these several verses to bless Isaac. He would just choose to trust him. And well, if you really think about it, God essentially repeated the Abrahamic covenant that we learned about back in Genesis chapter 12. He essentially repeated the Abrahamic covenant here to Isaac and said, Hey, I, I am going to bless you like I blessed your daddy before you. If you'll just choose to trust me like he did. If you'll just choose to put your faith in me like he did. And hey, listen to this. Though, though Isaac had received the covenant from Abraham by inheritance, we find here that now God was allowing him to endure this trial so that he could make that promise he'd made to Abraham. He could pass it down to Isaac and so it would become Isaac's own. It would no longer be, oh, that's what God said he'd do for my daddy. But now it was going to become, that's what God said he's going to do for me. And he began to work in Isaac's life to help him allow that faith to become his own. Now in verse number 5, I don't want to miss this. I want you to notice that God said Isaac was a recipient of this. If you look at verse 5, he said, Because that Abraham, what? Obeyed my voice. Now don't miss this. This is significant. God said that Isaac was going to be an inheritor of this blessing because of Abraham's obedience. Hey, here's a, here's a spiritual application for us. In a similar way, you and I are recipients of an inher, inter, eternal inheritance 
not because of our obedience, but because of the obedience of Jesus Christ. <laughs> he, he endured the cross. He was, he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, the New Testament says. And I'm glad I don't have the, a spiritual inheritance today because I, I deserve it, because of anything I've done, but because of everything that Jesus has done for me, I've become an inheritor of it, and now I just have to accept it by faith. That's what salvation is all about. And so Isaac was, was told by God that he would become an inheritor. If he, like his father before him, would we be willing to put his faith, his trust in God's promise that he had given to him. And how significant that is right here. And let me just pause here to say this. No one is a Christian by their heritage. Some people say, well, I was born a Christian. I was born a Baptist. No, you weren't. To be a follower of Jesus is a choice. God has no grandchildren, as we often say. He only has children. And every one of us, according to Romans 14, 12, every one of us are going to give account of ourselves to God. I can't make the decision for you to be a Christian, for you to trust Jesus as your Savior, and you can't make it for me. But every one of us have a choice to make as concerning who we're going to put our faith in. And I like what the Bible says in Acts 16, 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And I say to you, just because you grew up in a Christian home, and just because your mama might have told you you're, you're a Christian, doesn't mean you are. It's a decision between you and God. And I urge you with everything I have in me, if there's never been a day when you put your faith personally in Jesus Christ to save you from your sin, today is the day of salvation and now is the accepted time. And so God began to make this matter of Isaac's faith a personal thing here in the scripture. Now here's a significant application for us here. And don't miss this. The choice to stay for Isaac, God was trying to teach him that it needed to be based on God's promises, and not on Isaac's current position. Because where was Isaac? Well, he's in a famine. He had no way to take care of his family, no way to take care of himself, and yet God told him to stay. His current position, it didn't make sense to stay. But God said, I want you to stay, not because it makes sense, but because I promised I'll take care of you. It went against common sense for Isaac to make the choice to stay, yet the reason God gave him for staying was his word. I promise if you'll trust me, I will take care of you and bring you to a place of blessing. And I say to you this, this, uh, this morning, the choice, your choice to stay also must be based on God's promise and not on your current position. Hey, the only thing that will keep you from running to Egypt, hey, when the ground's dry, when there's no wet water in the well, Hey, when, when, uh, when, when, the, when, the, when, when there's no way for you to be able to produce your crops and when it seems like your situation is absolutely desperate, the only thing that will keep you from running to Egypt then, where the water's running fine and where the crops are growing fine and where it seems like it's so much better, the only thing that's going to keep you from going there is the assurance that God has promised He will take care of you right where you're at. That's the only thing. Faith in God's word. Faith in God's promise. The psalmist said in Psalm chapter 9 and verse 10, And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. And boy, I'm thankful for that promise there. And so in the end, after God told Isaac, I want you to stay, what did Isaac do? Well, look at verse number 6. And the Bible says, if you're still with there with me, say amen. 
In verse number 6, let's read it out loud together. And Isaac dwelt in Gerar. Well, he didn't go to Egypt, did he? He decided to stay. And as we're going to see here in just a minute, uh, that choice began, began to become a very wise choice. He didn't fully understand why he was staying, but I guarantee you by the end of the story, he is glad that he listened to God and he trusted God's promise to him. And oh, how we can learn from that here today. Now, before we move on from this, I want you to notice this next part of the story. Making the choice to stay for Isaac, it did not come without some opposition and some difficulty. Look at verse number 7 with me, if you would. The Bible says, And the men of the place asked him of his wife, and he said, She is my sister. And he feared to say, She is my wife. Lest, lest said he, the men of the place should kill me for Rebekah, because she was fair to look upon. Now, Abraham and Isaac, I don't know what their problem was, but they didn't want to tell people who their wife was. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand why they struggle with that so much. Um, I made sure my wife has a big ring on her finger so everybody knows that's my woman right there. Stay away from her. Uh, but boy, they were, they were scared for their own lives living in these foreign lands. And we find that as Isaac settled in as a new resident in that region, the, the men he did business with, they took notice of Rebecca and began to ask him about her. But notice, instead of telling them the truth, as we just read in verse 7, the Bible tells us that Isaac lied. Rebecca was his wife, but he lied and said, she's my sister. And in doing this, Isaac repeated the sin of his father. Remember back in Genesis 13 when, when Abraham did this twice. He did it once to Abimelech, the same, the same king, and he did it once in Egypt. And it's interesting here, we see Isaac doing the exact same things. And, and parents, let me just pause here to say, you need to be ever so careful about what you are directly or indirectly teaching your children. I heard uh, Ravi Zacharias tell this illustration, and I thought it was really good. But he said there was a man who got called into a school office because his son was, was being accused and had been found out in several, uh, several things. He, he had been stealing and lying. And the dad was just a little bit astounded by it. And he said, I don't understand what's leading my son to do this. And the principal said, well, I'm really concerned this is going to turn into long-term problems. And the dad said, well, what, 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 is, what is he stealing? What is he lying about? He said he's lying about, that, lying about having basic school supplies, and so he asks his friends for them and his teachers for them, and then he steals them from them. He doesn't give them back. And the dad said, I, 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 when he said that, the dad said, I don't understand why you'd be doing that. He said, well, I, I can bring home as much pens and paper and, and office supplies from my job as I want. I don't understand why my son would want to be stealing those from other people. And as soon as he said that, he realized something. That's where he's learning it. It's because I'm taking home pens and paper and office supplies from my job, and those aren't mine. I'm stealing them from my business. And now my son's doing the exact same thing. You see, you never know in the subtleties of life what you might be passing down to your children. And we find that Abraham did indeed. He was a man of faith, but he wasn't a man without fault. And there were some weaknesses of character that he passed down to his son here and parents it's good for us to remember, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. We'll be careful. Be careful. There are eyes always watching you of those who are coming behind you. And so we see this here in the scripture. But what's interesting to me about Isaac's lie here is that Isaac created this whole scenario in his mind because of a fear of man. As we're going to see in a moment, there was no, there was no reality to his fears. 
He created this need to lie to make up this situation because he was scared of what other people might do to him. And the Bible tells us that, uh, that he struggled with this here, but after he began to tell this lie, we find that the truth eventually came out and Isaac was exposed in his lie. And in verse number 8, if you're still with me, say amen. In verse number 8, the Bible says that it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked out at a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. You say, well, what is sporting? Well, you'll figure it out eventually, I'm sure. But verse number 9, it says, And Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, of a surety, she is thy wife. And how saidest thou, she is my sister? And Isaac said unto him, Because I said, lest I die for her. Verse 10, And Abimelech said, What is this thou hast done to us? One of the people might lightly have lion with thy wife, and thou shouldest have brought guiltiness upon us. Hey, Abimelech, he already didn't trust Abraham's family. He, when, as soon as Isaac came into town, he thought, that's Abraham's, that's Abraham's son. Abraham lied to me. He didn't trust him. And boy, as soon as he saw that Isaac, that Isaac had lied, he was, he was quick to come call him out on it. And Isaac here, he was caught in his lie, and he had to fess up. And I dare say he learned a difficult lesson about integrity that day. And he lost some of his integrity that day. But in the end, we find that Isaac discovered that all of his fears had turned out to be for nothing. You know, why, you know why we know that? Well, look at the next verse, verse 11. As soon as Abimelech called him out on this lie, the Bible says Abimelech turned around and he charged all his people saying, He that touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. You know what I think? I think Abimelech would have said that before Isaac lied, if Isaac had just been honest with him and said, This is my wife. I think Abimelech would have said, Hey, nobody touched that woman. That's his wife. I think that he would have done that before him. And if Isaac had just been honest with Abimelech instead of fearing what he might do, he would have kept his integrity and saved himself a whole bunch of trouble. And so here, let me bring out this application and don't miss this here. This is what we learned from this. Don't allow a fear of man, or, or let me put it this way, don't allow a fear of what could happen to keep you from doing what is right. Don't allow a fear of what could happen to keep you from doing what is right. Um, verse, Proverbs 29 and verse 25 says, The fear of man is a trap. The fear of man brings a snare. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Can I say, staying? God told Isaac to stay. But staying doesn't mean doing something wrong in order to keep your position secure. That's not what staying means. It means, as we said before, that you trust in God's promise to care for you. Now, if Isaac had just trusted God, here's the funny thing about it. God had said, I'm going to take care of you. And then after that, Isaac immediately goes and lies to try to save his own hide. And yet when Abimelech says, nobody touched them, all of a sudden, Isaac is reassured. He trusted the word of a man more than the word of God. You think God's good to take care of you if He promised to do it? You can trust Him. You don't have to resort to dishonest means in order to try to keep yourself secure in times of trouble. As we've heard before, it's never right to do something wrong in order to be able to do something that's right. And Isaac learned a hard lesson about this this day. And I'll also say a word to you here about lying. Because the truth be told, no pun intended, <laughs> uh, truth be told, it's more of a problem than what many of us, I think, would acknowledge. You see, far too many of us resort to half-truths to evade conflict 
and to evade fault. And I'll raise my hand and say, I am, I am guilty. I am often there. I'm not proud of it. The Lord's been speaking to my heart about this this week. Warren Wearsby said, telling lies is one of humanity's favorite ways to escape responsibility. It's true. It's easier. Did you do that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh I don't remember you telling me about that. And we make up all kinds of lies in order to escape responsibility or conflict or whatever the case may be. But let me tell you something about lying. Don't miss this. Lying, whether it's a whole lie or a half lie, lying in any degree is an act of hatred. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't think that's true. Well, look at what the Bible says in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 28, the Bible says, A lying tongue hates those who are afflicted by it. Lying is an act of hatred. If you lie to your spouse, you are damaging your marriage. If you lie in a friendship, you might, you might as well throw that friendship away. Hey, if you lie at your job, you are, you are sacrificing your integrity for some temporary security. Lying is an act of hatred. And what's one of the seven things, by the way, that God says He hates? He abhors lying. I think we ought to look at lying the same way God does. And friend, when you're tempted to tell that half lie, that little white lie, won't you just stay away from it? Won't you just stay away from it? Oftentimes I've found in a weak moment, I'll say something that isn't completely true. And I'll often need to go back and say, you know what? I shouldn't have said that to you. That wasn't completely true. It's better to do that than to just keep on letting your lies build up. You know, you're always going to get caught in them like Isaac did here in the Scripture. And so we find these things from the life of Isaac. And here's, here's the main application we get from this. God had told Isaac to stay in Gerar. But don't miss this. Isaac stayed in Gerar, but he forgot something. He forgot that God stayed there with him too. You see, the fact of the matter is, Isaac had to learn to trust God not only to stay in Gerar, but to trust God to sustain him in Gerar. God was good for his word. Isaac had to learn to trust him, though, in staying in that place. And I'll say this to you this morning. If you can trust God enough to stay where he has you, then you can trust God to sustain you while you're there. I like what one person once said. They said, the will of God won't lead you where the grace of God can't keep you. God can sustain you. The psalmist said in Psalm 37, 25, I've been young and now I'm old, and yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And so will you trust God in the midst of the place where he's told you to stay? Will you trust God enough to stay where he's put you? Hey, and as you stay, will you trust God enough to sustain you where he's put you? The first choice that Isaac made is the first choice that we all need to make on our pilgrimage of faith, and that is the choice to stay. Now, I want you to notice the second choice, and all this is significant for us here. Verses 12 through 16 that we'll look at here. This is the last choice we'll look at from this passage this morning. But the second choice is this, the choice to sow. The first choice was the choice to stay, and that choice directly led to the second choice, which was the choice to, to sow. And so after Isaac chose to stay, and he learned to trust God in sustaining him to do so, the Bible goes on to tell us in verse number 12. So if you've got your Bibles there, verse 12, if you're with me, say amen. Verse 12, the Bible says, Then Isaac, what? 
sowed in the land and received in the same year an hundredfold. Now, would you like something like that, Brother Chapel? <laughs> an hundredfold. That is a huge crop right there. He received an hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and great store of servants. Get this. Don't miss this. After Isaac made the choice to stay where God told him to, we find that he then chose to sow while he was there. He didn't just choose to stay and sit and sulk and sour. He said, well, as long as God's got me here, I might as well put down some roots. I might as well, I might as well sow something and see what God does with it. And as long as, as, long, as long as God has me in this position. And we find that as he did so, God began to bless him abundantly, by the way, just as he promised to. The Bible says he, he sowed and reaped a hundredfold. And get this, he sowed and reaped a hundredfold in the midst of a famine. Nonetheless, now that is unbelievable in and of itself. Nobody else was getting any crop, but Isaac, he trusted God to stay in Gerar, even though it didn't make sense, and God gave him an amazing increase that year. And as we read a moment ago, as he continued to sow, God began to make him to wax great. That's the Hebrew gadol that means that God promoted him. And as he continued to sow and continued to stay where God told him to stay, we find that God promoted him to become the greatest in the land. Here's what's significant about this. Isaac didn't just stay in Gerar. He sowed in Gerar. And as he began to plant and to, and, to, and to go forward in the place where God told him to stay, God grew him to a place of renown. He became the greatest man as far as possessions go and influence goes in that entire region. And he was a foreigner. <laughs> and he was a sojourner. But all because he put his faith in God and God began to bless him. Now, our human nature is to quit before we ever see God bring forth the harvest. I remember the story. Um, I, was, I was in college at the time. It was November 15th of 2009. And the Indianapolis Colts were facing the New England Patriots. It was the first game the Patriots had played in the new Lucas Oil Stadium. Now, I'm a Colts fan in case you didn't know. That's the house that Peyton built, the Lucas Oil Stadium. It was Peyton Manning against Tom Brady. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a rivalry for the ages right there. And they were playing each other. It was a home game for us. And I'll tell you, it was a horrible game for Colts fans. I mean, by halftime, or no, by the beginning of the fourth quarter, the Pats were up by 17 points. And I actually had some friends who were at that game. And uh, as they told the story to me later, I, I remember watching the game uh, on the television, but as they told me the story later, uh, they had got so fed up with how horrible the Colts were playing. And that, uh, uh, they, they, when the fourth quarter started, they joined a massive group at that Lucas Oil Stadium. They could not stand to watch the Patriots beat the Colts. And so they got up and left. And as they were on their way home, they listened in horror on the radio as they heard... The Colts, the radio tell them about the Colts staging the greatest fourth quarter comeback in NFL history. I mean, Peyton Manning led the Colts on three touchdown drives and beat the Patriots 35 to 34. And I don't care what team you cheer for, whenever the Patriots lose, that's a good day for all of us. Yes. Can I get an amen? Yes. That's the loudest amen I'm going to get today, but I'll take it, okay? That's a good day for all of us. But boy, my, my friends who went to that, I couldn't remember exactly who it was, but I remember them telling me about it. 
Can you imagine being them? I mean, they were at the game. And I'm sure they told people they were at the game. And when they saw those people later, those people were probably like, you got to see that. You got to see them come back in the fourth quarter. And uh, no, no, we left. End of the third. What? What were you thinking? It's the Colts versus the Patriots. But they left before they saw, the, they saw the amazing thing happen. And yet we look at that and we shake our heads at somebody like that. But the truth of the matter is one of the reasons that you may never seem to see things work out for you is because you quit before you let God bring a harvest in your life. See, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for we shall reap in due season if we faint not. Friend, there's got to be something inside of you where you're just willing to trust God even when it doesn't make sense. Stay where God has you long enough for God to work in your situation to bring a harvest in your life. It won't happen on your timetable. It won't always happen the way that you think it's going to happen. But friend, if you're staking your life on the promise of God, you can know in due season you shall reap if you faint not. The Bible says in Psalm 126 and verse, uh, verse number 5, They that sow in tears shall reap Reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Far too many of us, we settle for a subpar marriage, a subpar job, or a subpar life because we're not willing to stick with what God has called us to. And so we settle for something less than his best. Don't be one of them. Don't quit. Stay where God has you and trust Him to bring forth the harvest in His time and in His way. And so I remind you, Isaac, he didn't just stay in Gerar, but he sowed while he was in Gerar. And don't miss this. There's a wonderful application in this. Hey, let me just put it by a catchy phrase that many of us are familiar with. The same thing we see Isaac did, this is what it, how it relates to us. You need to bloom where you're planted. You know what I'm saying? You need to bloom where you're planted. Hey, if Isaac, well, God told him to stay there, if Isaac had just sat on his hands and saying, well, it's a famine time, I know I'm not going to be able to do much. If he just sat on his hands instead of sowing, he never would have experienced the great harvest that God brought to him. But that's not what he did. He got up off his hind end and he didn't know how it was going to work out, but he trusted in the promises of God and God brought him a great harvest as a result of his trust and faith in the Lord. And, and too many of us, when God puts us in a place like Gerar, in a place where we don't want to be, where we don't want to stay in the middle of a difficult time, too many of us, when we get put in that type of place, we just sit and sour and say, well, I hope God works it all out. We stop living. Hey, in the middle of this COVID-19 thing that's going on, now's not the time to sit and sour. You may not be able to, hey, some of you college students, I know, I know it stinks you're not at college anymore. You high school students, I know it stinks you're not at school anymore. Hey, but just because your situation changed doesn't mean you just need to sit on your hands and give up. Hey, God's changed your situation, but he has a reason for why he's doing it, and it's for your good, and it's going to be for his glory. Just trust him in the middle of your situation. Who is to say that God hasn't put you in this time because he wants to show you how he can bring a great harvest to you in the middle of a difficult time? You don't know what God's doing. Why don't you just determine today to make the most of where God has you instead of complaining about 
I don't, I don't know why God took, took away the thing that I, that I want, where, where I wanted to be. Stop complaining about it and just make the most of where God has you. Start sowing some good seeds in the ground because God wants to bring you an abundant harvest, even in the middle of a time of famine, if you'll just trust Him. Oh, we need to understand this today. Now, I've got to wrap things up or they're going to carry me out of here. So I've got to hurry up here. I want you to notice finally here that this great harvest that God brought to Isaac, after he made this choice to sow, this great harvest and this, this choice to sow, it didn't come with that opposition as well. If you'll notice what the Bible says in verse 14, the latter part of the verse, the Bible says in the Philistines, what? Envied him. Isaac had gotten all this great harvest in the Philistines. They were the ones who lived in that land originally. The Philistines weren't happy about it. For all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. And Abimelech said unto Isaac, Go from us, for thou art much mightier than we. Now, here's the funny thing. The Philistines had no problem with Isaac when he was just a poor sojourner in their land. But boy, just as soon as God had blessed him and promoted him to become the greatest one in the land, then they envied him, the Bible says. That word envy, uh, I think there's a misunderstanding sometimes we have about what it means. Webster's 1828 defines envy as repining at another's prosperity, to grieve oneself at the real or supposed superiority of someone else, and to hate them on account of that. And here's the dangerous thing about envy. You start being mad that someone else is doing better than you. Envy inevitably breeds hatred. You be careful about being envious of other people because you're one step away from hating them. And that's a dangerous place to get to indeed. And the Philistines, as they began to see Isaac blessed, they, they began to see all this good stuff happening for Isaac. Their envy grew into hatred, which eventually caused them to do anything they could to spite him. That's why they started filling back in all the wells that he needed to take care of his livestock and, and take care of his crops. They started putting dirt back in him and, and, and stopping him up. That was a declaration of war in those days. And boy, they were ticked off at Isaac because of how much God had blessed him. And the situation became so heated that we find that King Abimelech eventually had to tell Isaac, get out. We, we, we can't live together anymore. You're going to have to move away from us. You're going to have to move farther away from us. By the way, don't miss this. This is the first mention in the Bible of the animosity of the Philistines toward the people of Israel. Now later on, in the days of the kings, this, this animosity just continued to grow until we see David and Goliath. We see Saul facing the Philistines, David and the Philistines, and we see this rivalry just continue to grow from this point on. Abraham and Abimelech were friends, but boy, because of envy, it literally staged two nations together. And you want to know why some of the conflict might exist between you and some other, some other family in this church or some other person in this community? Probably because at some point there's some envy that may, may very well have turned into hatred. Well, be careful of it. It's more of an issue than many of us would like to give the time and attention to. Now, one final application here will be done, I promise, okay? This is one of the favorite things I've, I discovered in my study this week. So you've got to let me get this out here, okay? I know it's 1158, but I'm hurrying. Don't miss this. Okay, the Philistines, their animosity towards Isaac, it has a wonderful spiritual application. The Philistines are a type of the unsaved man, the unregenerate man, who occupies ground that belongs to the people of God. 
Now, I actually have a map I want to put up here uh, for sake of illustration here. But the name Philistine, it's a Hebrew word that means immigrant. And what we, what we find from studying the history of the Philistines is that the Philistines immigrated over here from the island of Crete. And they came over into what we now know as the Gaza Strip here in the nation of Israel. And that's, that's the area of land that they inhabited. That's not where they originally lived. They moved over uh, not too long before the people of Israel, uh, Abraham and Isaac. Around that same time period, they began to migrate over and to live in these lands. By the way, these were lands that were promised to the people of God, but the Philistines came over and they unlawfully took possession of those lands. Hey, God was going to bring Abraham, Isaac, and their descendants into the land by his promise, by their faith in his promise, but the Philistines had come in a different way. They hadn't come in God's way. Those lands weren't their lands. Those lands belonged to the people of God as God had promised it to them. And so the Philistines remind us of some of the most vicious enemies that we have as God's people. Who are they? Those who are religious but lost. Hey, those who haven't come into God's land, God's way. They've come in by their ceremony, by their tradition, by their religion, but they have no true possession in the land. They have no reason to be there. They represent those who are religious but are lost. 2 Timothy chapter 3 describes them as having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. It says in verse 7 of that same chapter that they're ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And then God tells us from such, turn away. Stay away from them. And we find as the Philistine king hatefully sent Isaac away uh, uh, because God began to bless him. Hey, even so, there will always come a day when the true children of God must walk away from the hatred of religion to live in the freedom of God's grace. See, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. These Philistines... These Pharisees, these religious individuals, they want to suck out the life and joy of everything that there is to be enjoyed in the land that God has promised us and the inheritance that God has assured to us as the people of God. And I wonder if you've got some Philistines in your life today, maybe some religious legalists, maybe some people bound by religion who are literally trying to suck the very joy and life out of everything that God has promised to you. I can't park here very long, but the Apostle Paul warned us about these types of individuals. In the book of Galatians chapter 5, he told the Christians, You did run well. Who did hinder you that you have not obeyed the truth? Who was it that came in and tried to tell you that it's all up to you, that it's not of grace? Who was it that came in to tell you that, yeah, you've been saved, but now you've got to keep all of our rules or God's mad at you or you can lose it or whatever the case may be? That's the whole idea and the spiritual application of these Philistines. Galatians 3 and verse 3, the Apostle Paul said, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, do you now think you're made perfect by the flesh? You think you got saved and then God saved you. It was all of God's grace and now it's all up to you. You think something changed? No, it's always been of God's grace. We are saved by grace. We live by God's grace. We'll go to glory by God's grace. Thank God for His grace. Don't let anybody try to tear that down. Don't let any religion try to come in and try to change what God has clearly told us in His Word. Hey, 
I don't need the fickle favor of the Philistines when I have the infinite blessings of God's grace. I don't, I don't need them to like me because I'm not keeping all their rules. If I know I'm standing on God's word, then thank God I can stand secure. They tell me, get out. Okay, I'll go on because I'm going to go on with God's blessing because I'm standing in God's grace. And praise the Lord for that application we see there in the scriptures. And so in conclusion this morning, where do you find yourself on your journey of faith today? Hey, God is allowing the circumstances around you. He's allowing all this crazy stuff that's going on right now. I think we all understand that. But He's allowing these circumstances to grow you in your faith and to teach you to trust Him more. So will you let Him have His way in your life? Hey, God's told you to stay. Maybe that's what the application is for you today. Would you be willing to make the choice to stay? Make the choice to stop trying to run to Egypt. Stop trying to take the easiest way out. If God puts you somewhere, trust Him, and He will sustain you as you stay in the place He's put you. Is that what God's speaking to you about today? To stay? Maybe what the Lord is speaking to you about today is, yeah, you're staying, but you're also souring as you do. <laughs> Maybe as you're staying here today, God would speak to you about sowing. As long, I, Isaac didn't know how long God was going to have him in Gerar. He said, as long as God has me here, I might as well put some seeds out. And see what God does with it. Don't, don't stay and just say, well, I know I'm eventually going to move and so I'm going to sit and sour. No. Stay and sow. And see what God does with it. You say, well, <laughs> there's no way God can do anything in this situation. Isaac planted in a famine and had a hundredfold come forth. You never know what God can do. Don't question God. God can do anything. Trust Him in your situation. I don't know what your Gerar is today. I don't know what your Egypt might be, the temptation of the thing you might be tempted to flee to. But today, let this lesson from the life of Isaac be a challenge to you. It certainly has been to me. And let's, let's strive together to make the same choices that we saw Isaac make by faith in the midst of his difficult situation. God has put us in this COVID-19 crisis, and I can relate that for all of us as being something like Gerar. We don't know how long we're going to be here. We don't know how long this thing's going to last. Hey, but I'm going to choose to stay where God's planted me in the middle of this, and I'm going to choose to find a way to keep on planting those seeds and letting God do what He does best. I'm going to choose to just trust Him. And I challenge you to make that same choice here today. Let's all bow our head and close our eyes. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.